everyone. Welcome to Paul and Moses Play, a celebration of games and play, and a deep dive into video games and what makes them special to us. I'm your host, Paul Berberich, and with me, as always, is Dr. Moses Wolfenstein. Hello, Moses. Hello, Paul. We are back. We are back indeed, which I've decided is my catchphrase that echoes Uh-oh, your I need catchphrase. A new catchphrase. Well, no, no, because if you don't do yours, then mine makes no sense. Oh, gotcha. Uh, so yes. No, it's... Oh, Dean. Yes. Okay. I'm, I'm following. I'm following. It's perfect. Yeah. Uh, yeah. How's how's things with you over the past week? Things are good. Things are good. Settling into a bit of a groove. Um, there's a, a funny thing about working in academia is that uh, a, a big aspect of your life winds up being structured by by the academic calendar year, as uh, as our, our guest to, uh, on on this show will attest to as well a little later. But um, we're in that uh, odd place leading up towards spring break uh, for, for my school. We're on a, for those of you who are listening, and if you're getting caught up here in March, you're going like leading towards spring break. Didn't spring break happen already? Didn't people already do things in Florida and like other places that maybe they shouldn't even be right now? Um, but uh, one thing about being in the community college setting is we don't wrap up until June. So, ah, uh, so yeah. So we're in that, that odd place where it's like things are going, but I know we're about to hit like that curious wall where everything kind of abruptly stops. Yeah. Um, so, you know, my, my minor frustration today involves trying to reschedule a meeting that would have happened during spring break. Um, scheduling is probably the worst part of my job. Yeah, no doubt. So how about on your end? Yeah, doing just fine, trying to buy a house. It's a, a up and down kind of thing. The market's pretty crazy, but... Uh, the market know, is bonkers. Helpful. I don't know if it's as bad in Madison I mean, as like national headlines are in, you know, in some other places. There's a, an article about a house a real fixer upper apparently in the DC area that listed for something like 250 and sold for close to half a million yeah cash yeah similar things are happening here on a on a lesser scale but uh uh but yeah you know we're we're hopeful and uh it, it'll take some time maybe but you know be worth the effort in the end are you trying to stick in the uh kind of immediate isthmus area yeah. Yeah. one of the funky things about Madison is you can be 20 minutes outside of town in the middle of nowhere exactly yeah. No, we, we like it where, where we are kind of in the middle of things here. Walkability. Exactly. Right but yeah, uh, certainly happy to have you here with us. Um, and uh, we will kick things off in the introductory segment with my question. Moses, what is your fourth favorite game? Oh my God, Paul. I've been like kind of tearing my hair out about this, but not literally. Um, unless of course, by literally, I mean figuratively, which I think is now like dictionary definition number three, according to Webster's for literally, it yeah. uh, frustrates me no end, but it is true. It's uh, literally but- the worst. What, what was that? Uh, nothing. Go. <laughs> <laughs> Only to be heard later. Exactly. Um, it, seriously, it's been driving me a little bit buggy because this is such a hard question. Um, so I need to arrive at a game that I know I've enjoyed kind of tremendously that uh, had a big impact on my play experiences. And I'm not going to mention the contenders um, that that kind of floated through, but I kind of felt like at this point, you know, uh, this this ranking is really a mishmash. I've kind of led with things that are, uh, are mostly currently bigger for me one way or another, mm-hmm. um, or at least have some persistence. Um, but I'm going to reach back to something that I haven't played in quite a while, um, but which when it was released was one of my favorite games um, kind of, uh, of of all time at the time. Uh, and that is Team Fortress 2. Oh, yes. Like, I haven't played TF2 in quite a while. I, I think I probably wouldn't particularly enjoy the current state of it, because uh, I know they didn't slow down on the whole crafting thing. And it, right. 
added all kinds of weirdness to that game. Um, but man, uh, I mean, it wasn't technically landing, but back in the teacher education building with the Games Learning Society research crew and friends, uh, we would post up in that lab and, you know, get a bunch of us onto the same server and queue up onto the same team and just like, we'd go at it for hours. That game was just, it was so much fun. It was such a delight as um, at that point in my life, an absolute noob FPS player. And, you know, as, as I've mentioned previously, I still, in my opinion, mostly suck. Um, but, but I had like really like, okay, I'd played GoldenEye, you know, um, I'd never played a mouse and keyboard FPS for more than like five minutes before TF2. So it was kind of a formative, uh, experience, not quite as formative as some earlier game experiences, some of which mm -hmm. will emerge further down the list. So when you say you hadn't played a mouse and keyboard FPS, I mean, does that mean you didn't play Half-Life or, I mean. I didn't play Half-Life until after TF2. Oh. Interesting. And I've never played the original. I've only played Half-Life 2. Okay. Wow. Yeah, it's just kind of a quirk of when I came back into games. Yeah. Uh, because uh, something we'll touch on, I think another time, maybe not for this show, is that I actually had kind of a, you know, I played games a lot as a kid. Mm -hmm. um, I had a gap in my gaming uh, before I kind of came back to them in uh, oh, 2002, maybe. Mm -hmm. So okay. and some games in that particular moment are other ones that I considered. For slot yeah. number four. Very interesting. Okay. And yeah, I'm, I'm definitely, it, it's a good kind of mental exercise, I think, trying to figure out what this list means and why it means what it means. Um, and for me, what I decided is, you know, I've been pulling games out of my, out of my past in terms of like the, you know, the ranking here that we're doing. But so to me, it's like something like Sonic 2 comes to mind uh, because it was such a huge part of my childhood. Um, but I, I started realizing that I wanted to more weight games that stayed with me. Like, how yeah. often do I think about Sonic 2? How often do I want to play Sonic 2 these days? You know, not incredibly often, even though it was momentous. So for my fourth game, I am going with Metal Gear Solid on the okay. PlayStation 1. Okay. Because that game was revolutionary. I will never forget going into Target, playing it on the little demo station, hearing the voices, like the human voices, crystal clear, the amazing orchestral music. And I had never played a game before where you were supposed to not engage with the guards. You were supposed to sneak by them. And I just, uh, yeah. it, you know, it was it was almost like a shift within me. I'm like, oh my God, I, I have to have this. And this was well before I owned a PlayStation. Um, and to this day, uh, if when I am in the mood, which is once or twice a year, I will throw on the Metal Gear Solid, the movie, as it's called on YouTube, which is just uh, the entire story, all those cutscenes that play out and all the codec conversations, because I just love the voice acting so much. Every character, you know, it just brings me joy to to engage with that with that world again. That's epic. And I mean, you know, we've touched uh, in previous episodes on uh, on the topic of sound. Uh, Nick uh, gave us quite quite the insight uh, in in a rather genre specific way. But I just immediately, because of that conversation, I started thinking. Oh, I wonder how they managed like PlayStation One, and like a lot of 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 rich dialogue, voice. Like, what were what kind of uh, how much effort was that? You know, how much work did they have to do to kind of package things down and like like make it make it work? Because you know what clearly sticks for you. Uh, or at least one part of it uh, is that narrative uh, as delivered through dialogue, right? Yeah, for sure. Um, and uh, 
one other thing I wanted to mention is as we go along uh, each week, we may reorder one title. So if okay. you're like, I really fucked up, I forgot this game, you can feel free to do that uh, once per week as we as we build out our lists, which eventually I'm going to have to start writing yeah. down because <laughs> I actually just started. Uh, you, if there was a little tapping, tippy tapping that you hear, heard in there, I was like, oh, God, we're going to keep doing this. I'm if I don't start keeping a record of it, I'm going to be like, I have no idea what I said. My third favorite game was. Yeah. So would the idea be if you forgot something and you're like, this was actually number two, it just reorders your list where like whatever was two drops down to three. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah, uh, I think that's a better way to go uh, because obviously we can probably get into wanting to just do some some wild overhauls, and that's that's not a good idea for anybody involved. I think it's more fun if yeah, it's it's incremental as, as we go. Yeah. See, we we just we've just imposed a, a new mechanic on the game <laughs> of favorite games. Exactly, game of games. Well, speaking of games, uh, I now uh, will move us along to our next segment, which is what have you been playing. Moses, start us off. Yeah, Paul. So um, nothing new uh, from the last episode, um, but with a little bit of a shift in waiting. As uh, as we touched base, we had to get a slightly late start uh, with with this episode. And um, you know, one one of the things that uh, you know you were going, hey, are are you joining me here? And um, I was like, oh, ah, caught me. I was just playing some Loop Hero. Yeah. So um, yeah, it's starting to get its teeth in me a little bit more. The game is very, very compelling. Um, yeah, and obviously there's been some Apex in the mix and uh, mm -hmm. some Grand Blue, which we'll talk about a little bit later. Um, I haven't done a huge amount of gaming this week, uh, but definitely a little more Loop Hero and a little less Apex. And in uh, my session right before we got on here, I died for the first time. Okay. Important but something part. else happened too which I think would be a very relevant understanding. Why did I die for the first time? Do you want to, do you want to hazard a guess at something that would happen that like, was like, whoa, what the heck was that? Well, I do, but I don't necessarily want to spoil any card synergies that you haven't encountered. Here, I will write down my guess, my guess I mentally. I wonder if that was a result of a card synergy. I don't know. So okay. it probably was. Let me just tell you. The map like changes substantially. The campfire area, like something happens at the campfire area. And I didn't really get to figure out what, because I think I probably would have had to make it back there mm -hmm. uh, in order to get whatever narrative bit it was going to feed me mm -hmm. about why the entire, like the whole graphic array over in that corner. And mm -hmm. It was like, I'd put down a sufficient number of cards. Maybe I'm not quite sure. So you mean on the loop track itself, the campfire tile changed? Correct. Oh, oh, well, to what? <laughs> Like stuff sprung up around the campfire, okay. not on the loop track, but right around the, the, the campfire on the track. Yeah. All the stuff sprung up that I was like, I probably should have moused over some of them because it would have given me information. But things that were not there before yeah. that were not a result of anything that I kind of specifically did. And then did you get to that? Did you come back around to the no, campfire? that was the thing okay. because my map had gotten really dangerous yeah. and I died. Yeah. And I was just like trying to like, oh, can I kind of incrementally work this out? But I'm really digging the tension in Loop Hero. And to mm -hmm. me, the core tension um, at this point in playing Loop Hero really is how many cards are you going to start playing onto the map that is going to make it dangerous? Right. Uh, but each time you pass through one of those spaces, you're, you're adding up more resource. Right. But will you be able to take a sufficient amount of those resources back with you? Because if I understand it correctly, only if you pause your hero at the campfire 
and choose the return to campfire option, do you get to keep everything, right? Yes. Because otherwise it'll be like, oh, you can go back, but you only get to take a third of your stuff. Right. Yeah. So, yeah, I would actually honestly say that this session was the first time that, um, that I kind of pushed to that point. But there was also a, another cool thing. And then, uh, and then I'll, I'm going to pass it back to you in terms of what you've been playing, um, where I, I was like, was that a ghost? What's that thing drifting down from the, oh, the mountains, that's a harpy. And then I just immediately felt guilty because I knew I was going to have to kill another harpy. <laughs> yeah, they do make them a bit sympathetic. Uh, oh, very much so. That initial dialogue with the harpies, which had actually happened before our last session. And it's kind of like, well, you know, here, I'm just here trying to eat and right. pick your bones. And like, who gets fed as, as a result of you killing me and everything else that you're slaying? Nothing. Right. right. Oof. <laughs> Punishing. Yeah. It's brutal. It's brutal. Um, but yeah, but I had the moment where, uh, you know, the villagers um, come out and they drag your body. You're like, how did I get back here? Mm -hmm. and, and they come out and they drag your body back. And they're like, yeah. And it was odd because the whole world like was mostly disappearing. You know, most of the monsters were already gone long before we even like got to you. Yeah. Oh, tasty. It's good. I want to see where this goes. Nice. Um, okay. This may be self-indulgent, but I, the music in the game is incredible. And I played the game incessantly and to where I started making up words for one of the, the tracks. So I'll, I'll just hit you with, with, with a little bit of it here. Um, it's one, it's probably my favorite music track in the game, but loop hero loop again, loop hero never ends. I cannot go to bed. Oh, fuck you. Fuck you. Loop hero, so much fun. Maybe just one more run. I'll never see the sun. I trust you, trust you. If I beat you, will you let me go? All my clothes are on the floor. And I don't even know if I want to. Will you leave me if I see the end? Or will I turn around and loop again? Yes. I'll just bow and let you say when I love you, love you. Oh. <laughs> I mean, a few other fragments, but uh, yeah. Fantastic. I, it might have felt self-indulgent for you, but I know for me and probably for our listeners, that was just absolutely epic. I thank you. Um, for me, what I've been playing this week uh, is an old favorite of mine, Super Mario RPG on the Super Nintendo. Uh, every few years, I just kind of get a hankering for just wholesome RPG happiness. Um, and what what a creation. You know, this was Square and Enix coming together before they were Square Enix, along with uh, Nintendo. Yeah, it's just a happy little little RPG. You know, it really introduced the concept of like, okay, Bowser's the baddie at the beginning, but in a little while, he's going to be in your party and getting mm -hmm. to see that kind of dialogue and sort of behind the scenes of his army and how they all relate um so yeah it's 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 a great kind of winter cozy game which we're coming out of now of course but uh if you ever get the chance to play it i would i would highly recommend i think you tried to uh get a pass play session of that going with me once um and i, I think we didn't last very long there might have been many beers involved uh you know yeah, possibly some marijuana i don't know um, perhaps probably oh <laughs> <laughs> uh, i have a, i have a faint memory but it, it, i can't remember if we actually managed to start it or it was like no let's do this some other time but yes yeah, mm. so you, you definitely mentioned it before and is it only on the snes is that the only uh only yes. platform you can play i it think on? it was on the wii virtual console uh maybe oh, yes. but um but yeah eternal mystery what 
how will Nintendo choose to handle its its existing properties with each yeah. new console release? Yeah. Hit or miss, but they keep us guessing and not necessarily the best way. Yeah. Ooh, Mario. Ugh. Mario. Yeah, Mario Thirty Five goes away at the end of the month. I'm so sad about that. It's the competitive Thirty Five versus Thirty Five uh, Mario. Oh my God, that's yeah. bonkers. Yeah. Uh, but you know, it, it it will be missed. My my hope is that they'll like bring it back each Christmas or something fun like that. You know, so so we'll see. That we will. Uh, Moving on to our next segment, what I love about. And Moses, why don't you tell me what you love and what you love about it? Yeah, sure. Drat, forgot we had this segment. Mm. So I'm just gonna have to uh, uh, punt on this, but I think I've, I've got something. Cause after all, I uh, I, I think, and who knows, this, this may well happen again in the future. Um, but you know, I said, uh, you know, a fourth favorite game, favorite fame, um, being, a being team fortress two. And, um, let's go with what I love about TF2. And it did something that has been done by other games since. Uh, but I think we all love this about team fortress two. And that is the art design. Um, at least anyone who loves team fortress two loves this about the game. Uh, and, and specifically something that they did that, uh, was if not unprecedented, unique in its execution. Um, and by execution, I'm, I'm not referring to any character death, uh, but, uh, but the silhouettes, obviously the silhouettes combined with the voice acting, the development of these very unique characters for an FPS, no less, right. And you're going to like, naturally in my head, I want to compare it against uh, counter-strike mm-hmm. or any other game where the players on the map, most of the characters on the map, whatever, they mostly look more or less the same. I, there, there's differences there's, but like you know, you're, you're standing 40 game feet back and you can't reasonably tell that much of a difference apart from palette shift maybe. Right. Right. Um, but you see a heavy halfway across the map, not only his outline, the shine on his head, uh, but the animation and how he moves, let alone that, that fearsome sound of that minigun winding up, like mm-hmm. every, and every character has, has that to it. And I mean, obviously Overwatch has borrowed that since, you know, I'm playing Apex. They've borrowed that since, like a lot of other games have gone like, hey, that's a really successful way to go. Let's do that. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, it, it is in fact, what I love about TF2 probably the most is how that uh, that character design creates. Each of them is this unique playable character that you really have a sense of kind of who they are, but also just adds so much to the gameplay mm-hmm. um, in terms of being able to navigate and read the game world, uh, but also I, for lack of a better word, immersion. Mm-hmm. How about okay. you, Paul? What do you love about? Um, what I love about being a gamer today is the fact that we all get to play Disco Elysium because that game is a masterpiece of masterpieces. Uh, the uh, enhanced edition uh, where they recorded, it's either over a million or over 3 million words of new dialogue. It took them like 13 months uh, just for the new stuff. Um, Something I stopped with that game. Sorry? Something was just released. Is that the enhanced version? Yeah, yes, exactly. Just today I downloaded on my PlayStation and I I cannot wait to dive back in. Um, I'm not going to say too much because I know you haven't played it, um, which is why I don't have a a favorite thing about it per se. It's just that we all are lucky enough to be alive when we get to play this incredible narrative game. Uh, And okay, if I had to pick a thing, it would be Kim, your partner. I, I won't say much else. I would I would die for Kim. 
you know, he is just a <laughs> badass. Like anyone says shit about Kim, like, no, it's no, you, you don't get okay. to, you don't get to do that. Uh, so yeah, I would just, I, you know, I know you have a, a busy life, uh, and, and you, you know, you spread Our your gaming time where it is. Um, but yes it's on my it's on my list and uh you know and i just made a, a note to pop it back up towards the top because there are a lot of games that need playing um and a lot of hours of of apex legends that need playing but <laughs> um but yeah obviously it's a different single player experience from anything else that i'm doing currently and like literally everybody has been yelling about this game and how amazing it is and i mean i guess i could use uh groundbreaking is would you call it groundbreaking yeah all right. In, in a few different ways. Yeah. Excellent. Yeah. We'll have to return to that one in the future. Indeed. Well, speaking of the future, it is now time for our next segment, and that is going to be our guest spot. Uh, with us is uh, Mark Chen. <clears throat> Dr. Mark Chen. Dr. Mark Chen. Pardon me. Welcome to the show, Dr. Mark Chen. Thank you. I'm um, glad to be here. Yeah. Yeah. We appreciate you joining us. Um, I noticed. Uh, I noticed you had to take the old cans off during some of the Loop Hero discussion. Uh, that's one that you're intending to to get to, or? Yeah, I don't have it yet. It's on my it's on my buy list or wish list. Same with Disco Elysium. Yeah. <laughs> and so I was like, almost ready to take my headphones off again. Uh, you know, if if you were actually able to say, going to say something, but you didn't, so that's cool. Um, yeah, I've hear I've heard really good things about both of those games. Um, and, uh, you know, maybe with a stimulus check, I can actually go and buy them now. <laughs> yeah. 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 There's so much good stuff out there today. It's, it can be, it can be overwhelming almost, but, uh, but yeah, definitely worth your time. Um, well, yeah, I, I had a, a few rapid fire questions here for you and then Moses will have a couple of his own and then, uh, we will, uh, we will get to your topic. So, uh, Mark, I was wondering if you could tell me what's the first game you remember playing? Wow. That's an interesting question. Um, I think it was 688 attack sub. Okay. Which is like this vector-based U-boat uh, simulator or submarine simulator. Um, and, you know, you, you have, you look through a periscope and you see like, you know, these destroyers in front of you and you shoot them with torpedoes and stuff. And um, I think that's the first game I played. It was on an XT, an IBM XT. Okay. And I was in... I think fifth or sixth grade or something like that. Yeah. <laughs> was this, do you, was it a, like a first person perspective, like looking through the periscope? Yeah. So, so the, the screen was as if you were, I guess it's like a simulator, right? So like you have like all these knobs and buttons and stuff like that to push. And then one of the things would like show a, a um, it, I don't think it was actually you bring down a periscope, but that mm -hmm. you would have like, the view from a periscope okay like within this console that's in front of you you know um and it was in color so it wasn't it wasn't uh it wasn't like a really like an even older game but it was so it was in color already uh i think it was 16 colors um you know the resolution was like 320 by 200 or something like that <laughs> right um <laughs> cool uh, um yeah. And uh, my next question, what's the first game you remember beating? Huh. Um, I mean, I don't know if you count. Like, in terms of that game, there's a bunch of missions you can go on, I guess, um, mm -hmm. and, and, and sort of scenarios that, that are presented to you. 
and um um I actually don't remember if I if I like beat quote unquote beat them, but I definitely you know sunk way more ships than I than I got sunk. Um, mm-hmm. But maybe it was just a perpetual sinking machine. I don't know. <laughs> so I don't know if that actually counts um, for a game. Um, it would probably be like one that I actually remember finishing um, would probably be either King's Quest or. Um, one of the LucasArts ones. So like, you know, Monkey Island one or something like that. Nice. Yeah, quite a, and yeah, those have a very definitive, obviously it's very linear narrative kind of, Mm -hmm. kind of experience. Um, Did you ever play Sam and Max hit the road? Yeah, absolutely. I love, I love, uh, we actually, my brother and I collected comic books. We watched the cartoon. Um, You know, I played the, the tell, the tell, telltale version, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, when it was rebooted and everything. Um, Yeah. Lots of good memories with Sam and Max. Yeah, absolutely. Um, tell us about a memorable gaming disappointment. There, I don't actually even remember the name of the game. Um, <laughs> there was a time when about 10 years ago, maybe 15 years ago, when I was pirating as many adventure games as I could. Mm-hmm. And I got this one that was, I think it was made in Russia. Um, and so it was translated and the voice acting was terrible. Um, Mm -hmm. and then the actual, the actual written dialogue was terrible. And I don't know if that's a translation issue or if it was just really poorly written. And there was the very first scene, (laughs) like you go into like this, I think it was like this lodge, like this wood, um, lodge. It was up in the, uh, snowy mountain somewhere. And um, I don't even remember what the game was about. It was probably some sort of horror thing or something like that. But you go in there and and you talk to this NPC. And um, I remember thinking, this is so bad. (laughs) And like, so within like, as soon as I started talking to this person, after a minute, I just like stopped playing. (laughs) (laughs) and uninstalled it. and I've it, had a lot of experiences like that, actually. I mean, there are a lot of bad adventure games out there, mm-hmm. um, which is why I pirate them, because I don't want to <laughs> pay for this stuff. Um, back then, I mean, I, uh, you know, the rise of Steam and all that stuff, uh, the actual desire to pirate a game is, is much, much less than I used to have, because mm-hmm. um, they're so readily available now, right? Right. Um, but yeah, uh, there was a time when I was just going on this crazy adventure game kick. Um, you know, I played all the Nancy Drews. I played all Whoa. the, uh, you know, all the, all the games basically that came out. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. So yeah, you, and it was enough just dipping your toe in, uh, and and that still became such a memorable thing. It was like so forgettable that it it was it was memorable almost. Yeah, I mean that uh, that I I I believe is is definitely the number one spot for the worst game I've ever played. Um, <laughs> nice. And, and, you know, even the mechanics were clunky. So like there are some, there are some adventure games or point and click, point and click adventure games, right? So these 2D, like you have a scene and you have a character and you move around the screen, right? Mm-hmm. Um, right? Like the old, like, like Teen's Quest, right? Or Monkey Island. Um, and so some of them are done really, really well. Like the mouse control is perfect, the animation super smooth. There's a lot of polish to it and everything. And then some of them are just super clunky. Like mm-hmm. usually, what happens is um, um, they decide they should go 3D and they make these 3D models, these 3D characters, and try to animate this 3D 3D character within like this 2D environment. Oh no! Um, 
and it just t- turns out terribly. And I think this is one of those one of those games. <laughs> so like the texture is just terrible. The the actual it's a low poly count yeah. um, models, and so that they just look terrible too. And then and then just it was just bad. Um, <laughs> Sounds like it. I've just got this mental image of you like you know a few di- lines of dialogue, and you're just like, nope, quit, just drop the mo- <laughs> drop the mouse and walk away. <laughs> yeah. Well, I was going through some. I was I was probably going through like five adventure games a week. Mm-hmm. um this this like this is like 15 years ago yeah um and i was just i was just downloading all of them basically all the ones that i could get my hands on um and then and then it was, and and now it's even worse like my steam library is just the backlog is just crazy right yeah. so so what happens often is i'll play a game for like half an hour and try to assess whether i actually want to keep playing the game you know yeah well, um, final question here on to a happier subject. Uh, Mark, what is your favorite game? Oh, God. <laughs> hey, at least we're not asking you about your fourth favorite game. <laughs> I know. I was thinking about that. I was like, what? Fourth? <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> it's a really hard question for me because there are there are two genres that I really, really love. Um one of them is role-playing games. I really love role-playing games. And then, and then the other is uh, tactical, tactical shooter, not shooter games, tactical squad-based games like XCOM. Um, and so, I don't know. I, I really don't know. I mean, if in terms of sh- shaping me as a person, I think, and sort of like making me have like this love affair over decades with video games, it's probably Wasteland. Mm-hmm. Um, and and that that game sort of s- sprouted into both of the genres that I love. You know what I mean? Yeah, um, yeah. And so, so maybe it's that game. That's like the the great granddaddy game that I that I will always have fond memories of. Yeah, yeah. Good answer. I yeah. The the questions are you know partially designed to catch people flat footed just to see what happens to get maybe so you don't have 10 minutes to think about it uh so yeah i always you know definitely appreciate uh uh thinking thinking on your feet there um moses would you like to uh uh, take the next couple of questions yeah indeed um so uh, so mark um this this one might actually your brain might be kind of warmed up for this question what's the weirdest video game that you've ever played (laughs) <laughs> jesus christ you guys um, <laughs> the gauntlet <laughs> moses normally lobs a, a softball or two but uh, not not tonight i guess the weirdest one so i tried hypnospace outlaw like two weeks ago actually mm-hmm. that's a weird game um and I didn't get into it <laughs> like I played, that's one of the ones i played for like half an hour i'm like ah i get it I'm just gonna stop because this yeah. um, I don't have enough time. Um, the last weird game that I actually played all the way through, I think, was uh, Californium, mm. which is based off of a Philip K. Dick um, short story, I think. Um, and it's about like there's like two different worlds that you sort of occupy, like this weird sci-fi one and this this other this non I don't know this I guess weird like. 70s 80s california one um so pretty much california in the 70s yeah it's pretty yeah yeah yeah. it was was very it's very like if you played it while high or on on lsd um like philip k dick was you know when he was writing all this stuff then right then 
I mean, it was very, it was very trippy. Yeah. Um, or you could say it would make more sense or no sense at all, either way. Yeah. Well, yeah. <laughs> you know, you, you have this uh, phenomenon where you think that the most amazing, meaningful experience is happening right now mm-hmm. when you're when you're experiencing something like when you're high or when you're um, playing California or whatever. Yeah, it's like it's one of those games where like. I mean, I wouldn't say I had like the most amazing experience or anything like that, but but um, it really made me think about, um, I guess, the nature of reality and 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 this like double existence. You know, you're you're sort of living um, this dual life. I mean, that happens in a lot of Philip K. Dick novels and everything, right? Absolutely. Um, Scanner Darkly, right? Um, so. It was it was very much along that, and he's my favorite author too. So like, so playing a game that sort of along those themes was was really really cool, and 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 different than what usually gets portrayed um, when 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 other media portray Philip K. Dick stuff. It's usually not that side of things, but more like, um, um, you know, like Minority Report, Blade Runner type of stuff, mm-hmm. cyberpunky type of stuff. Right? The stuff that's more accessible to a general audience as opposed mm-hmm. to. Um, the the truly mind-bending stuff that is not uh anything that could become a sci-fi trope right yeah although you know they did do man high castle um for amazon oh yeah so. i heard that that was good so um so yeah that's a game that's that's geographically located i'm wondering what you think the game is that best reflects uh, a closer geographic proximity for yourself the pacific northwest is there a game that you feel best reflects the pacific northwest yeah, Paul's right. I don't have softballs tonight. <laughs> gone home for me. It'd be gone home. It takes place in Portland. Uh, there, there, there are brochures in the game about summer camp at Reed College. I went to Reed College. Wow. Um, you know, I've, I'm wearing the T-shirt right now, actually. There you go. <laughs> and so, like, so when I when I play that game, there are certain meanings to it. You know, it takes place in the '90s. Um, right. in basically uh, Southeast, I think, Portland, maybe Northeast Portland. And like, I lived in Southeast Portland in the 90s, right? And I went yeah. to read college and, and seeing it in the, in the game and everything has particular meaning for me that I think just adds on top of like the, the overall experience. Like everyone who I've talked to who's played the game has had a good experience with it, right? But then just on top of that, add in like this personal connection that I have with with the location and everything. Um, that was that was particularly awesome uh, for me. Cool. Right on. All right, my last question for you. You and I share an academic background. Uh, we both stumbled into games research one way or another uh, by way of education. What's your favorite academic games experience? Like in the context of conferences or whatever with other academics, you know, it doesn't need to be a like, you know what I mean? What was it like? And I'm talking about play experiences here, an experience of play in an academic context. Yeah, the the 20 person raise that we would do with Terra Nova. Um, um, oh, heck yeah. In Burning Crusade. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, that was a special time period in World of Warcraft. Yeah. That was, that was very meaningful for me, both in terms of, it was just cool to hang out with a bunch of grad students and professors who were really into the same things that I was into. And then 
it actually, in terms of networking, I mean, it, it sort of directly led to some jobs and stuff like that, mm. right? So like, sure. you know, I got I got hired by Linda Pullen, who was one of the guild members to teach a class at Pepperdine University. And and um, um, it definitely led to like publications and stuff. Um, you know, so I, I partnered, I co-authored a bunch of papers with various guild members and stuff like that over the years. And 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 so that, that, was, that was really good in terms of being like a, <laughs> I think I took I I took I I didn't appreciate it when it was happening I think or I maybe I did I mean I really did appreciate it but but I think I assumed that this was what academic life normally was <laughs> and now that now that it's like 10 years later I realized that no actually this was something special that like a lot of my peers um, or colleagues um, at this university that I'm at, like, have nothing like this in their yeah. in their experience, you know. Absolutely, absolutely, yeah. I, there's also I'm just going to throw in there. There was a, a peculiar leveling um, leveling the playing field um, when uh, when the guild allowed uh, us lowly grad students in. Um, it didn't take very long before uh, having some expertise in WoW allowed a real um, you know leveling socially. Where hey, who, whoever has expertise in WoW and and is you know good to get along with, can have some uh, some meaningful role in the guild. It didn't matter if you were you know full professor or a first year grad student or anywhere in between. Mm -hmm. um, that is something very cool. Right on. Thanks for sharing that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it was, it was particularly good for me because I felt a little bit isolated. Um, you know, I went to University of Washington, um, and I was the only person who I knew at UW who was actually doing game stuff um, in any department while I was there. Um, and so, and, and I viewed the Terranova Guild um, as basically like a Madison and company type of place type yeah. of thing. And so it was, it was, you know, and even GLS, the conference and everything, I really felt like um, you all were really open for me to me being part of the, basically part of the family and that, that was really good. Yeah, you know, it's funny because I think as somebody who was at, uh, at UW in Madison, um, the Guild actually felt like some of the most prominent members were not in Madison at all. You know, there's kind of a storied background when some of our faculty had been much more active in the game. But anyway, let's not go uh, too far down that particular memory hole. Um, I, I think, Paul, you want to lead us into the next question here? Sure. Well, yeah. Um... We are out of questions for, for this week, but uh, yeah, Mark, uh, I'd love to hear whatever you, uh, you brought for us this week. <laughs> I don't, so I haven't, it's not well formulated. Um, That's okay. Totally not okay. Have had something if, well formulated. So. Yeah, okay. if, it's, if it's 10 minutes, cool. If it's 40 minutes, cool. Like, yeah, it's. Uh, it may require some explaining. Um, Even better. There's multiple threads that have been sort of converging for me in the last year or so. And um, um, one of them comes from like, you know, you, you, you two are probably very familiar with, which is just this concept of like agency in games and, and um, how much control do players really have over like the outcome of a story or whatever. Um, so, you know, you can cite a whole bunch of games like Bioshock or Mass Effect, you know, right? To think about like, you know, do your choices actually matter um by the time you get to the end of the game have your choices actually do they actually have an effect to, on the end and everything and um you know mass effect 
three three was uh um <laughs> pretty controversial right the original yeah. ending for mass effect 3 was pretty controversial and everything and then and then the whole thing with bioshock about like you know um would you kindly um is sort of like potentially the thing that's actually controlling you and doing things right you're you don't actually have any control right um so there's there's that whole line and that's that sort of like um exploration of agency within games has been you know over a decade now that people have been talking about this stuff right like bioshock is pretty old now mm -hmm. um and um and it exists in all genres like so so if you look at the the telltale games so like walking dead um you know do your choices actually matter or are you just you know just clicking something so that you can see the next segment of the story right how many um, people are these choices really yeah well but the thing is I think they are, they can be deeply meaningful in the moment, at least. Mm. If you're, if you're, if you, if you actually uh, um, have bought into it and are really invested in certain characters or whatever, they can be definitely meaningful. You know, you really want to make sure, you know, Kenny lives or whatever. You really want to make sure um, certain things happen in The Walking Dead, even though the ending might actually be the same. Mm -hmm. um, you do want to play the, I guess, the canonical version of it for yourself, which is like you've made the right decisions that sit well with you morally or whatever, right? So I do think even though it might not be a different ending, the journey does matter um, and, and, and you do attach meanings to those. So, um, so in that sense, you know, maybe the agency isn't involved in changing the story, but it's more involved in... Um, in asking players to make meaning, make, I guess, morally meaningful choices, even though it doesn't actually affect anything, but internally it matters, you know? Um, yeah, it, it does, it does matter. And, you know, if a choice is only interesting, if it affects the ending, like the very, you know, how broad is the ending in that context? Is it just one sliver of time? Or like, like you said, and I totally agree, it's inhabiting that character having your version of the character be true and canonical and one thing that brought to mind i think it was in mass effect 2 was like the renegade paragon system and a bunch of people got upset because they felt like you had to play all good or all bad to get whatever the best perks on either side or but for me it's like that was never even a concern i was simply being my shepherd and mm -hmm. if i only got 35 percent into paragon as a result that whatever uh it's way more important for me to to be true to the character yeah yeah so but that's not true for every player <laughs> but um but yeah so so thinking about that that line right agency and games and everything i think okay so that's one thread the other thread that i've sort of been thinking about a lot so i teach i teach a media studies class basically um now and um specifically um like internet media um and so we cover things like fake news and privacy issues and algorithms and stuff like that, right? Um, so in terms of control and agency, this topic of algorithms and um, you know when you hop onto YouTube or you hop onto Netflix or whatever, or even Spotify, right? It will suggest the next thing for you to listen to or to watch or whatever, right? There's this algorithm behind everything that sort of um, tries to predict, tries to get to know you, right? And then, and then present you something that it thinks you'll enjoy so that you can stay on their platform. Um, and a lot of the internet works this way. 
now. Um, a lot of a lot of websites work this way now, where where they're basically um, there are systems in place that are trying to get you to stay, um, and it's because they're generating ad revenue off you and everything, right? Right. Um, and <laughs> that to me is about the same issue is about this, this idea of control and whether or not I actually have a say over my experience. Um, and, or if there's, there are these, um, instead of an author or a game designer trying to curate like a lovely story for me to experience. Now it's like these companies who are curating this experience because they're making money off of me. And so that's, mm -hmm. it's suddenly turned into this, it's the same theme, but now it's like for this, a reason that I don't like that I don't want to give into, you know what I mean? Like, whereas I'm totally into like experiencing a cool story. Mm -hmm. um, but the idea that, um, you know, I'm, I'm being manipulated into into certain avenues on the web or whatever, it just doesn't sit well with me. So I've been thinking about that um, form of agency or control, or whatever. And and the reason why, um, or the, 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 I guess the catalyst for its, its um, surfacing for me um, is this, uh, uh, like a short, I don't even know what to call it. it. It, um, there's a, there's a piece by Mackenzie Wark in, in the Gameful World or a Gameful World. I forgot what the, the article is. Um, that's only three pages long. Uh, there's a bunch of, so there's a bunch of chapters in, in the Gameful World. And then there's a bunch of like, I guess, interstitial, like five page long, like really, really short things between the chapters in, in that book. And so Mackenzie Wark wrote one that's only three pages long called Losing is Fun. And um, and this is one of the readings that I have in my in my media studies course. And um, and it's because it's <laughs> it's a sneaky little piece of writing. Like hmm. it's on the surface, it's about games and and um how much control you have over a game experience and um, and what it means to play a game and all the stuff is on the surface, right? But if you read behind or underneath the lines or whatever, or actually it isn't, to me, it's actually not that subtle. Like it's completely obvious to me um, what the piece is actually about. Um, but Warwick talks about this thing called a metagame and she actually doesn't mean um, what we what most gamers think of the meta game you know we're, we're thinking of like strategies and like and like different um characters can are better in like a fighting game because of a meta game right um we're, that's that's not what what work means work is oh, talking it's about the, the deck of cards from no zimmerman <laughs> <laughs> yeah no no it's not it's not the zimmerman deck of cards either <laughs> Um, but, um, although that might fit in well with your earlier segments, you know, which is your fourth favorite game, um, you have these debates with the metagame. Um, but anyways, uh, for anyone who has no idea what we're talking about, you have no idea what we're talking about, but, um, but, um, work means this, this idea of you have multiple layers of gaming going on. And so, and each layer is a metagame that's sort of on layered on top of the layer below it. Uh, and so at the the base layer is like i'm just some person playing a computer game you know i went to some store and i bought this computer game and i'm just playing this computer game right and i'm just playing it for fun and everything i'm dealing with npcs that are running around the game right and i'm running around the game uh interacting with npcs and everything right but uh there's actually a meta game and the meta game is uh like sony or microsoft or whatever ea um is playing me um hmm. right so like 
and this is more and more true where where uh, a bunch of like like Ubisoft games or EA games are tracking me in certain ways as I play th through their game, right? Mm. So then um, to them, I'm the NPC. Um, you know, right. I'm the pawn in their system that they're playing, that they're trying to manipulate into buying their loot boxes or whatever, um, right? Mm. Um, or like run around in Assassin's Creed, like collecting everything because they're all there on my mini map or whatever, right? Um, <laughs> and and so there's a meta game where I'm not the actual player. I'm the one. I'm not the one in control. They're in control, right? And then there's a meta game on top of that where they have to do these things because they're publicly traded companies and they have shareholders and they need to make money for their shareholders, right? So sure. so they in turn are being manipulated by the system that we have um, in terms of in terms of. Uh, you know, companies that that have stockholders and everything, and then they in turn actually are part of another meta game, um, which is basically the whole capitalist system, where um, you know <laughs> uh, we have we have basically this the system of, of of demands and supply and all that stuff, but it's been totally warped. If you if you read about surveillance capitalism, um, um, it's been totally warped uh, for the internet age. Um, and is kind of getting out of control, mm -hmm. um, and then and then there's an there's an ultimate meta, meta game on top of that. Maybe there's a whole bunch of layers uh, between all those things. But to me, work I think is arguing that there there is actually is an ultimate meta game on top of everything. Um, and unlike all the previous meta games, um, it is a closed system and has finite resources. And that is Mother Earth, basically. Mm -hmm. And we are fucking ourselves because we can't see these meta games, um, and so we're we're running out of resources because we're playing these smaller games within the actual meta game. You know? Yeah. Yeah. I that I like I like where you're coming from. Um, it brought to mind uh, something like Top Forty Radio, where songs get popular because they're they're chosen basically whether it's payola or you know executives or what have you to be played on the radio they then become the songs we all love and there's some choice in that do you like country or do you like pop or whatever but the table has has already been set we we don't get to choose uh and and i think it can be certainly limiting uh you know um but that also brought to mind how much the barrier to entry has has been lowered when it comes to virtually producing any type of media music video games you know anyone can sit down and create something share it on itch uh and so there is still so much there that hasn't been fully tainted or twisted by capitalism um which obviously is you know is a fantastic thing yeah yeah for sure um I mean, it's very complex, right? I mean, the, the the actual world is very, very complex, and so this this um, um, argument, you know, maybe simplifying things. It's it's more of a thought piece. Mm -hmm. It's only three pages. I mean, like it requires like multiple readings. Every time I read it, something else occurs to me. Uh, um, and actually, to tie it back to Philip K. Dick, uh, so Warwick actually mentions a Philip K. Dick uh, novel, um, the Game Players of Titan. Um, where there are these, uh, there's this alien race that has basically um, um, colonized Titan, the, the Jupiter's moon, right? Um, 
I think Jupiter, maybe Saturn. Um, but anyways, they're living on Titan and they're playing this game um, of where we humans are basically the pawns in their game that they're playing. Um, um, and so, you know, there's an analogy to that book and trying to use that. So the, the reason why, so the reading itself is <laughs> like, it's actually a difficult read because there's so many, um, like metaphors, I guess, in it and analogies and stuff. And so it isn't, it isn't just explicit, like, oh, um, you know, we've got, we've got mother earth and climate change and capitalism and then a stock market and stuff like that. There, it's not explicit like that. It's, it's all these things you have sort of have to read between the lines to, to get an understanding of. And actually it's called losing is fun because that's, that's the tagline for Dwarf Fortress. Um, and, and Wark argues that one way to just sort of like basically engage in escapism and like just like drown your sorrows in you know in alcohol except not alcohol it's uh play dwarf fortress you know because <laughs> like dwarf fortress actually doesn't have any hooks to to a metagame outside of it like there are there's no tracking of you um you know other than at the very end it, it gives you a display of like how you did in the game and everything but it's not like it's using that to sell you anything or anything like that the game itself is free um and so um and it makes good practice you're going to fail in door fortress um it makes good practice because you're going to fail in real life we are all going to fail at the rate we're going mm -hmm. um um and so <laughs> you might as well get used to failing <laughs> Failure is the only option. <laughs> uh, you know, I, I've tried Dwarf Fortress a few times. I know I'll get there. I, I haven't been able to break through yet. Um, I feel like I've had good practice with RimWorld and, and maybe Factorio um, in getting in the right, the right space for that. Because uh, boy, the stories I hear that come out of that game, I, I just, I have, to, I have to be a part of it, you know? Yeah, yeah. I love the, I love seeing like, the comic strips that people illustrate that are based off of Dwarf Fortress runs or whatever they're called. Um, yeah, those are really good. I mean, even o like O'Reilly published books on Dwarf Fortress, uh, which I thought was really funny. That's a little um, weird. <laughs> but then again, I mean, maybe not so weird. Um, I mean, they published a book on gamification. <laughs> so. I also, or Moses, did you have a thought? I mean, how could I not have thoughts? But right, um, right. but no, no, no. Go go with it, Paul. Well, I mean, so a game like Disco Elysium couldn't exist without capitalism. Um, if I could choose to live in a world without capitalism or without Disco Elysium, I would probably choose without capitalism. Um, uh, but I mean, I, I don't know. I I guess I'm feeling out what my what my point with this sentence even is. But like, I'm glad that these mechanisms are there to produce such an incredible thing, but at what expense? And the the expense, the actual costs, environmental, human, we're usually completely blind to. Yeah, I mean, you know, in, in, in recent months, um, Bitcoin has been doing crazy awesome, mm -hmm. right? And then, and then in the last two weeks, NFTs have, have just, exploded onto the yeah. scene I, I didn't know what nft i didn't even know what that term i had never heard that term probably until two weeks ago, two weeks mm -hmm. ago. um mm -hmm. and but they've actually been around for a while apparently um and um these uh what non-fungible tokens right mm -hmm. um 
and and Bitcoin. <laughs> like when I found out that um, the way that Bitcoin is generated is through basically um, a CPU power or or GPU power. Mm -hmm. um, um, you know, and I found out this like maybe two years ago or something like that. Um, then I was like, oh shit. <laughs> Because if that gets popular, then that means we're screwing ourselves over more. Um, right. And lo and behold, that is what's happening, you know. Um, and so now we're now basically, you know, creating these farms uh, that are just generating a lot of or consuming a lot of energy, right? And for um, what? For Bitcoin, for, you know, to generate these. Sorry, that might have sounded a little bit too much of like an actual question. It was meant to be deeply rhetorical. I know, I know. <laughs> it's, yeah. I had a chance actually about 10 years ago, more than that, actually, like 2009, I could have bought a whole bunch of Bitcoin. Ooh, yeah. I should have. Right. In hindsight, but I didn't. Um, and that way, you could get caught in these agentless loops within loops within loops. Right. And my, my understanding, you know, is is somewhat limited, but as far as I know, it doesn't have to be this way. Like it to generate a Bitcoin, we could find another method than this very energy intensive, you know, GPU, CPU usage. And yeah, absolutely. That makes it even more crazy and <laughs> criminal, you know, like there are there are some companies that are trying to make more environmentally friendly uh, cryptocurrency. Like mm -hmm. I think Ethereum is working on Ethereum two, which is supposed to be like um, um, have carbon offsets and things like that built into the into the model or the system or whatever. Um, so be I guess I guess ideally carbon neutral. Um, <laughs> but like, what horrible timing, right? Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Um, but uh, so all that, you know, I don't, and this is why I'm not, I haven't like thought about this enough probably in order to make a actual coherent argument, but the thing, the common thing I see in all these things that I've been thinking about is, is just this idea of control. Like how much control do I actually have over either the stories I experience or my life or what websites I visit, you know? And should I be worried? Like, should I be worried about how much control I have or not have? Yeah, that's a fascinating question. How, if, yeah, if to worry and if so, how much worry? Um, I'm sure it varies from, from person to person. And there are other cultures where there's far less freedom of speech and freedom of expression and creative opportunities for people. We've got it really good over here, you know, in, in those respects. Um, so I'm, I'm sure you'd get, you'd get many different answers. Mm -hmm. I mean, if we could have a worry-based cryptocurrency, <laughs> then drive game development. Fret coin. <laughs> Fret coin. I like it. <laughs> but then guitar players get really confused. Yes. Oh. Well, they've they've been on top long enough. Those guitar rock stars, you know, they bring True them down that. a peg. Hey, keyboardist here. I'm not going to argue with that. <laughs> So just a quick note, uh, I do need to make the, uh, the obligatory, necessary uh, shout out to, uh, to Colleen Macklin and John Sharp, in addition to Eric Zimmerman, with regard to the metagame that was a three-person uh, effort of three, three really quite wonderful designers and wonderful people. Um, I think I just associate it with Eric the most because uh, he's, um, you know, was, was very, 
uh, kind of upfront promoting that experience a while back. And uh, Paul, you and I might have to return to the topic of the metagame. Uh, yeah. No, this is great food, food for thought. Um, and with that, we will head into the fighting game minute. Uh, we had quite a time. Uh, was this last night? It was last night because I was like, oh man, I haven't played any Grand Blue Fantasy Versus at all this week. I bet you haven't either. Mm-hmm. Like I haven't even been making my slow foray through the RPG mode, the ridiculous RPG mode. And so I was like, are you free? Mm-hmm. And you were like, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So we jumped in for a few matches. Um, and they worked and... out uh, the, the server issues, it seems. So yeah. that's good. Um, but yeah, we got into kind of a nice flow again, where the matches just flowed. It was compelling and tactical, uh, and you know, you were really hitting your stride with uh, I forget her name again, but the the new character you've been playing, Catalina. Catalina, yes. Yeah, I mean, so we started with uh, you've been playing um, uh, Zeta. Zeta. Yeah, and I I played around with Fairy last time with uh, with the whip. Um, but I've got to say, I think the lack of, of play on my part and a character who I'm largely unfamiliar with um, just didn't, it didn't play to my advantage. So you pretty roundly whipped me even when I was starting to, uh, or whooped me, even as I was starting to kind of get get the feel a little bit more for Fairy, who I will return to. And which is ironic because Fairy wields a whip. Indeed, indeed. Uh, irony was not lost on me as the words slipped out of my mouth. Um, no, and it seems clear to me, uh, her... Um, her super move, I can't remember what they, they call it, not the not her uh, skybound art, uh, just her regular powered up move. Mm-hmm. Uh, by default, it, it's a unique move. It's got an upward trajectory to it, like a diagonal up angle to it. Uh, she's clearly designed to uh, work certain angles and, and coax the other player into certain types of attacks. Um, she's optimized for range. And one of my challenges with the game in general is I have trouble not leaning first on the uh on the light light attack the quick attack mm-hmm. um and hers is just not what i expect it to be mm-hmm. um so uh, you know no, enough excuses though enough excuses <laughs> uh clearly you're getting quite comfortable zeta even though you hadn't played uh you know for a week basically yeah uh I, and really what i think what i most enjoy is her uh her deflection you know where you go into the defensive stance you can absorb a hit and then immediately counterattack and i would say eight out of ten times i do that it doesn't work i either get punished by you or we both whiff or whatever but those moments when i'm like nope and it just the animation's great it it flows you know and it's like uh you know what i keep coming back to is the mind games like when we can Mm -hmm. engage in that together you know it's it's very satisfying yeah absolutely and i it's kind of like it took me a moment to cotton to the fact that you were leading with a charge consistently at first and only when I started leading with a block, you're like, okay, Moses is onto this. I'm going to have to change this up. Mm-hmm. So, and there, there are other things I probably could have led with, like specifically with Fairy, if I'd been on it with her long attack, mm-hmm. um, that's like absolutely what that whip is for. You could have been charging in and I pretty surely could have disabled you. And then you would have had to be like, okay, maybe I'll lead with a, with a ranged attack or something instead. Um, but then uh, we, we got into the, to the weird middle part where you're like, well, oh, I, I'm, I'm dominating too much. Let me try something else. Yeah, and Charlotte uh, or Charlotta. Charlotta, uh, Charlotta, uh, yes. This little petite princess with a sword, and it just was not was not working. I have a feeling that she's brutal once you like have like a, a grasp. I think but... she's a like a rushdown character, which I'm just not quite familiar with how to how to play that well. You know, I'm not even familiar with the term. 
yeah, just getting up in someone's face and being quick and, you know. Gotcha. Yeah, no, she definitely is. She definitely does seem quick. And so, yeah, I have a feeling. Um, and I have to say, it is one of the worst feelings in a fighting game when your opponent is like a tiny little person and you like execute a finishing move on them and their little body just goes across the screen and you're just like, oh God, what? Now I don't even want to like attack because I'm going to feel bad when I hit you. That's right. not good. Part of my strategy. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but ultimately we resolved, uh, did you go back to Zeta? Went back to Zeta, you stuck with Catalina and then it and was- I, Yeah, I swapped over to Catalina because I was like, well, you know, uh, I played Gran a, a good bit and I know Catalina's kind of like Gran. And coming back to her, she was the first character I tried too. I was like, mm -hmm. oh, she's a lot like Gran, but there are some differences. Mm -hmm. And one key thing that made it a really good matchup at the end there is she is very fast. Mm -hmm. um, and Zeta is also fast, but maybe not quite as fast because she has the range. Right. That rather odd weapon that she uses. The cross spear. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, but man, we got some nail biters at the end. Uh, I had had some uh, some some life duties that uh, rather pulled me away from the game but that's kind of like exactly you want to end on that yeah i wish we had time for one more round right yeah yeah it was it was it was a lot of fun and uh uh yeah makes me makes me hopeful for for our future i think you know if we can get in a session a week or so uh that that would be more than enough to to keep progressing on our path here well, much like the show has been pushing me to play things that aren't just Apex, um, I think we may well be able to use it as a little motivation to, to keep moving forward uh, as, and, and upping our skills a little bit. And, uh, you know, eventually maybe pulling some other folks in. We'll see. For sure. Well, that was your Fighting Game Minute. And now it's time for Paul and your Blaseball Update. Uh, we are still in the off-season as we record this uh, for two weeks here. Nothing much to say, actually. I, I just wanted to mention I have a work friend and a friend friend, uh, and I've gotten them both to agree to get into baseball. Uh, you know, I wanted, like, a work buddy that I could have a little rivalry with uh, while, we're, while we're on the job. Um, so, yeah, Alicia and then my friend Steve from work are both going to be uh, – I'm going to be Zooming with them next week when the season returns – and taking them through, you know, the stuff that it doesn't exactly spell out, which is a lot. Um, gotcha. You can enjoy it superficially. You can place bets and have fun. Um, but if you know what Sun 2 weather does, it might impact uh, your, your betting strategy. Um, so, yeah, just wanted to mention I'm super looking forward to that. I, I love teaching people about baseball. So, uh, yeah. Uh, all right. Well, that was your baseball update. And now it is time for our final feature on the show, Make my game. We will get the name of a studio and the name of a game, and then we will be off. So uh, this week, coming from Misty Alien Productions, is the game known as Mystery Buddhist Strikes Again. <laughs> OK, wait a second. It's Misty Alien Productions. Misty Alien uh, right. Productions, and it's Which mystery uh, buddhist strikes again yeah uh here here we are you know there we do have one veto per show uh i used one last week i, I think we can probably uh hop into this one there, there's enough to no i don't think to. we need to veto this one uh mark unless you want us to to spin up something fresh from the random game name generator i think that we could take a shot at mystery buddhist strikes again are these are these uh game company names real or or also fake these are also generated yeah, yeah. Okay. also <laughs> fake 
Yeah, and sometimes we engage with like what is the the game company like, and sometimes we just go, okay, well that's interesting, and maybe it uh, maybe it informs our thinking about the game, and mm-hmm. maybe it's just some nice window dressing. And Misty, the game company was Misty Misty Alien Productions. Oh man, which is like I I, I think of like Misty Mountain, so it's like this Gandalfian. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> that's exactly it's what like I a, think of. <laughs> it, oh, Gandalf the Gray, and he's a gray alien. Oh my god. Okay. That's okay. That's. <laughs> A whole other thing. See, but oddly um, enough, I think of something totally different. To me, it sounds like a 90s like rave company that's totally not a real company at all. Mm-hmm. It's throwing events in warehouses, Misty Alien Productions. Right. Um, but yes, with their uh, game, uh, Mystery Buddhist Strikes Again. So this is obviously a sequel to Mystery Buddhist. <laughs> <laughs> I hope so. <laughs> And okay, what what makes a mystery Buddhist? I mean, I feel like I could paint with a broad brush here, but I, I don't necessarily want to do that off the bat. So I, I'm gonna just throw it out there um, to, to play to Mark's corner, but I also feel like for some reason this game seem the title seems like it could be an adventure game. <laughs> Well, I actually think it was think was thinking it could be a fighting game because maybe the word ooh, strikes ooh. is a play off of the genre. Oh, ooh. Uh, yeah. Okay, let's go with that. Let's go with that. It's a fighter. So then it's like Delsim or something like that, you know. Um or like I don't know. But the mystery. Yeah. The mystery. So is Mystery Buddhist like your primary character, or is Mystery Buddhist like the nemesis character of, of the fighter, you know, the one who you penultimately encounter before whoever is actually the last boss fight in the single player version. Is is mystery the adjective for the ver- for the noun Buddhist though? I mean, maybe right. it's oh. like maybe it's like um you know, mystery colon Buddhist strikes again or something like that. Um and then and then it becomes like a then it is a, an adventure game where like there's um there's a Buddhist who's been striking things, I guess. And then, <laughs> and then, and, then uh, and it's a mystery on who, like, which one, which of these characters is the Buddhist or something like that. I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> Wait yeah. a second. What if we somehow can slam these games mm. together? You know, Grand Blue Fantasy Versus has this mode that is a very awkward marriage of a fighter and an RPG. Why not an awkward marriage of a fighter and an adventure game? I could see that if if you pick up you know a fishing rod, you will then have it. Maybe you can wield it as as a weapon. It depends on what's in your inventory, maybe. So you oh, got that's the aspect, right? Right. So that so then it becomes like a well, then we can match it up with Katamari, where you pick up a whole bunch of different things, and those then become your weapon, <laughs> <laughs> like that. I guess what I'm having trouble with is the the Buddhist part. Um, because definitely the hard part. I don't, I don't want to be insensitive to someone's beliefs, which I don't think you necessarily would have to be to play in that space. But uh, like, I, I don't want it to be just like a caricature of a like. Maybe he's just a Buddhist, and it doesn't, you know, come into play. But then, why is it called Mystery Buddhist? Yeah, there's a lot of. Um like Hong Kong action movies, period movies about 
um, fighting, um, you know, like Chinese ghosts or whatever, um, like a Chinese ghost story, for example. Uh, um, a lot of them feature a Buddhist as like a Buddhist monk who does Kung Fu basically to fight like these demons and everything. Right. Mm -hmm. um, so maybe that like that would fit into this, the strikes thing. Um, and it would sort of explain like why they're doing it, um, you know, for, for their, for their, I guess in the lore of these Hong Kong action movies, um, these Buddhist monks, uh, it's like a, they're they're like paladins, right? They they have a calling. They have to fight these uh, monsters and everything, um, right? That's that's their purpose. Um, um, so so it's usually like this wandering wandering monk who like goes around to various places, um, um, kind of like the Incredible Hulk, I guess. Uh, <laughs> you know, and and solves solves problems at these different places or Lone, Lone Ranger. Um, um, I mean, so that would fit very nicely with the adventure fighter mashup where, yeah. you know, you have to unlock your way to the fight uh, by way of negotiating the world and figuring out, you know, where you need to get the fishing pole from, etc. cetera. Uh, I mean, alternatively, what if you're like the ghosts? <laughs> you know, you've just got your, your community of ghosts and the mystery Buddhist just keeps showing up and, and you know, taking down your ghost people. I don't know. No, I actually, I, I'm kind of leaning back in the other direction. I just had to throw that out there. <laughs> yeah. And you don't, well, maybe you do, but for me, you don't see a ton of like period piece adventure games. They're normally set in like, okay, this is a crazy pirate land or this is the future or whatever. Um, but yeah, to have one that that takes place in in the past could could be interesting. Um, and w one other thing that came to mind: what if, like mid-fight, you could have a series of dialogues where you have a little dialogue tree that you navigate through, and depending on the outcome of that, you get some health back, or they do, or their attacks are buffed for round two. Well, yeah, you have a little chat in between each round. And the dialogue, you know, if you beat them, you have one set of dialogue and vice versa. And then it can influence the starting conditions of the next fight. I like it. They could have reinforcements show up or you could, mm -hmm. for that matter. Mm -hmm. You know, the environment could, uh, well, I mean, it's a fighting game. The environment probably wouldn't matter that much, but you never know. Yeah. Okay. I mean, I think that's, that's a good 80% of, of the way there. <laughs> Uh, as far as the rough description of design that we engage in in this particular segment of the show, yes, yes. Yeah. Well, uh, wonderful. So yeah, coming this week from Misty Alien Productions is Mystery Buddhist Strikes Again. And it's like some kind of bad alliteration there with Misty and Mystery. I just, <laughs> it's not going to perform well. It really threw me for a loop, that's for sure. <laughs> yeah. Well, speaking of throwing things, we are about to throw this episode in the computer because it's time to wrap it up and process. Uh, so uh, big thanks to Dr. Mark Chen for being with us. That was, that was a fascinating discussion. Absolutely. You're very welcome. It was, it was great. Thanks for inviting me. Yeah. I'd uh, lo love to have you back again sometime. Um, well, uh, thanks to everyone for joining us for this week's episode of Paul and Moses Play. If you have a question, comment, or suggestion for the Clunker segment or what is to become of the Clunker segment, please email us at paulandmosesplay at gmail.com. We'll see you next week. And until then, never, never stop, stop playing! playing.